welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Yes, sir. And today, we have a first-time guest with us, Rebecca Vandermeer. Rebecca is one of our clinicians and has been a huge part of Pure Desire reaching the Spanish-speaking community. Uh, Rebecca, you do a lot of different things, but we're so happy <laughs> to have you. Welcome to the PD Podcast. Thank you so much. It's awesome to, to be here. So thank you, guys. Right on. So in today's episode, we'll be talking through our Betrayal and Beyond groups and group material. So we're going to be talking about what B&B is, who it's for, and we're also going to touch on why it's so important and what people will gain from going through a B&B group. And the reason why we have Rebecca here is because me and Nick have never been in a B&B group. We have not. <laughs> and so we don't want to speak out of our lack of expertise. So uh, Rebecca, you're going to be helping us really fill in all of it for us. So um as this is your first time on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people may hear your last name and go, hey, you're related to a guy that's been on the podcast before, um, but we want to know just about you. So could you introduce yourself, kind of talk about a little bit of your story and, yeah. and how you got plugged in with Pure Desire? Absolutely. So I was born in uh, Venezuela, South America, and um, PK, my parents that's became- pastor's kid for oh, anybody yes, out there. PK, who, thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. Kick. We all are PKs, I think. <laughs> Are yeah, all yeah, all PKs. All right. Okay. So I was a PK, and then by the age of 11, my parents became missionaries, and so we moved to Costa Rica. Um, but so I have uh, two siblings. I'm the youngest of, of them, and I bring it up because my pl- my parents were planning on only having two kids, and so I came as a surprise, one that they did not um, <laughs> like. They were not <laughs> excited about it, and so... I was flat out rejected from the moment they found out that I was that my mom was pregnant with me and mm. up until I was probably three when, you know, God totally had a time with my dad and he had a change of heart and realized what had been happening. And so, you know, I think that set a little bit of the vulnerability for me in mm-hmm. terms of what we do and looking back and understanding, you know, just kind of how we are set up for success or or to cope in an unhealthy way. And so. You know, I had this whole rejection part of me and just not feeling loved. Um, um, as time went by, probably around the age of eight, one of my cousins molested me. And so I feel like, again, wow. another vulnerability where I, in a sense, sex became this shameful, hidden thing. Yeah. Mm. And cur- curiosity, obviously, yeah, came totally. up and not being able to talk about it. So, yeah, by the time I got, I became, you know, to be sexually active, I just found myself at a place where I could not say no. I didn't I didn't know what saying no was. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, having the opportunity to be loved and to be appreciated for whatever I could give and the, at that time it was my body. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity that, you know, I had learned to to take. Um and so, yeah, just time went on. I didn't know <laughs> that I myself had an addiction yeah. up until I got together with my now husband, uh, Bob who was, you know, a sex addict at the time, um, not in recovery yet. And so mm-hmm. when we started this whole process of recovery and we came to Ted Roberts, which, you know, he's an amazing person. But, you know, we like Ted. Yes, yeah. we, we love him. He's a good guy. But anyways, um, it wasn't until we started that process that I realized that, oh, my gosh, this whole time I have been a love addict as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to work through my own process of recovery myself, but then also at the same time, 
being the spouse of a recovering sex addict. And so that just took everything just to a whole new level for me. Um, And that is being in Central America at that time, I happened to have the honor to translate for Dr. Ted. And so we toured all Central America. I went probably Mm. five countries together. And that's kind of how we got plugged in and how he just uh, became a part of my life. And then once my husband went through his own recovery, it was just a natural, it just, it was a godly thing where we ended up here. And now we're just, this is, this is our passion and this is our calling for sure. Right on. That's awesome. So how many different Central American countries or Latin American countries have you lived in? I've lived in five. Wow. Yes. You've got quite the experience there. And I'm sitting over here, like I've been to Canada and that's the only (laughs) time I've been out of the country, you know? So yeah, got to love college baseball for that. Oh boy. Yeah. So you're you're young. Yeah. You're a well-traveled journey journeyman. That's great. Well, Rebecca, we appreciate hearing your story. It's always interesting to me when we have someone on the podcast because we ask virtually the same question, you know, tell us a little about yourself and your background. And, and we really get the variety of like the two sentence answer to your, uh, a synopsis of your story. So yeah. I really it was a great synopsis. Openness. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Trying to summarize you doing it, that. of course. Yeah. Well, I know it could be much, much longer and I'm sure yes. <laughs> um, some people will have the chance to get to know you or when they come um, and great. Um, do counseling here, they get to hear more from you. Uh, but for today, we do want to focus in on the Betrayal and Beyond groups. And so let's let's dive into that and start there. Um, what is, let's just start with the basics. What is Betrayal and Beyond and who is it for? Yeah. So Betrayal and Beyond is a resource that uh, was developed here at Pure Desire. And it's intended to be used by spouses of sex addicts in a small group setting. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a workbook that uh, takes you over almost a year or about a year long process of a small group setting and uh, you meet weekly yeah well because it seems like that this is really a place for women to come together as a community that share the same story Mm -hmm. and the same experience and we see that that's really that's part of a healing journey for so many people is finding Mm -hmm. like-minded or like experienced people who have gone through the same thing and are journeying in healing together yeah absolutely and that's that's one of the main goals are um yeah purposes purposes of this resource is that you um not only have material to go through and find healing and um you know work through your betrayal but then also you are surrounded by a support uh, a support group of mm-hmm. people that are going through very similar uh, situations or circumstances granted everybody's circumstance and reality is going to be different um but at the bottom line you know the fears and the emotional part of this process it's going to be a common ground for everybody and so it's it's just a very healing resource that we have for for the spouses of now some people might be familiar with groups um you know like for alcoholics anonymous there's al-anon families of Mm -hmm. alcoholics and many of those groups uh can be mixed gender that there's just a variety of people that are trying to work with someone in their family they care about. Uh, is Betrayal and Beyond ever a mix of genders? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, yeah, no, absolutely not. It's just one of those, <laughs> well, it's one of those things, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there are groups and there, I know that there are groups out there for spouses of sex addicts who's, who, you know, who the addict is a female. Mm-hmm. Um, but we at Pure Desire just have this resource. The majority of our clients are male sex addicts. We do have female, but, and so as it the number kept getting bigger we realized that we needed to have a resource to help the spouses the female spouses find healing and work through their own pain and betrayal yeah. so yeah. 
Well, when you think through the, the nature of the material we're working with, having it be uh, just women together mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. But uh, just thinking of those that may come from a different paradigm where, mm-hmm. well, this is more about my, my role of supporting my spouse or working with a family member. And um, it, the particulars of this group, we, we tend to go, the, the ladies go a little deeper. And so mm-hmm. having that safety and security of this is people of my own gender, uh, I think is really an important factor. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to agree. Well, we see that when it comes to sexual addiction, it's really easy to just assume that the addict needs a group, that that's mm-hmm. they're the one who needs to find healing. They're the one that needs to put in the work. And at Pure Desire, we know that that's not necessarily true. And so I guess the question that we want to understand better is why does a betrayed spouse need a group? Why do they need healing? Why is it important that they also experience that? Yeah, that's a good point. And it's interesting because we do we do get that a lot, get that approach a lot, um, even with the couples that come in for help. Mm-hmm. Um, the spouse is usually, you know, just at a place where understandably there's a lot of anger and hurt and it's just more the focus on, well, he's the one that's got the addiction, so why do I even have to, to do that? Um, and we look at it at Pure Desire, we look at it in terms of this is a family system, systems issue or problem. And so we don't want to just deal with the sex addict and help them get better and healed mm-hmm. and then be left with a spouse that is wounded and betrayed and angry. Behind. Yeah, right. yeah, and having to figure out how to deal with all this stuff on her own. And so it's important that we have a place where we are working together with both individuals so mm-hmm. that as a family unit they can be healthy and you know move on to their own to the generations to come yeah yeah i know when we talk to people at events i'll almost hear um, anger from some women mm-hmm. of why should i have to do all this work and it's not fair just like you said uh, but i know in our experience for my wife and i our healing journey she felt some of that initially but the freedom she found to go to a group where others were walking through similar stories, understood her pain, mm-hmm. understood the emotions, and it was safe for her to talk about. That was um, huge for her to find healing and um, forgiveness and just all the things that really I don't know if she could have accomplished on her own. So just like for men, uh, sexual sin isolates and causes us to have shame. I think for wives, there's that same side of shame of what's wrong with me? Why am I not enough for my husband? And a lot of those thought patterns really are common. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you're in a safe group and you're in community and sharing your story that you realize, oh, these things I thought were just me, these other women have shared. And that's what I would hear my wife talk about. One of the great things we had is our first group was half an hour away. And that was kind of a pain because of the time, but that half an hour driving home was some of our best conversations Mm. because she would just be able to share what she'd learned or heard and um, that sense of isolation just disappears mm-hmm. and enabled us to have some conversations I don't think we could have had any yeah. other way. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would have been just my story. It would have been me sharing what I was learning. And when she had her side as well, that took us to a whole new level. Well, and it's like a shared language. You're learning yeah. you're learning the same words and the same vocabulary to try to meet in the middle and understand each other, what each other's experiencing. Mm-hmm. And and that creates this new lane of communication that couples haven't had in the past because either pain or the actual addiction itself are sitting in the middle. It kind of clears that out and creates mm-hmm. this. I mean, that's just how I'm seeing it is it creates this this gap where couples can come together in that gap and learn how to to come alongside, support each other. Right. And the reality, too, is that, you know, you come in initially because of, of your husband's sex addiction and so that's the motivator you know motivational or the what's driving the couple Mm -hmm. um to get help but then as time goes by you realize and that's i'm speaking from my own experience you know as 
when we started getting counsel from Dr. Ted, like that was, it was Bob's addiction. But then as time went by, I realized, oh my gosh, um, I have some stuff that I need to work on too, or even <laughs> just even issues. learn. Yeah. yeah. Or in, and even not just that as well, that's for sure. But then also understanding being educated of what, what is sex addiction? Yeah. Like what, how did he get to where he's at and allowed me to have more grace for my spouse? And as I continue to move in that process for him to then do the same for me. And so yeah. it just became, you know, a, a work that we're, we were doing together. It wasn't yeah. just him or, or I on my own. It was just we're in yeah. this together. Yeah. Like you said, Rebecca, it was the pain of your husband's issues that brought mm -hmm. you guys into counseling and that change process. And, and for many people, it, it starts that way. There is a deep sense of betrayal and brokenness in the relationship. But we're also finding the other to be true. And I think particularly in younger generations, an attitude among women can be, mm -hmm. well, it's a guy thing. It's his problem. It's not about me. It's really not that big of a deal. And they may be struggling with this idea of betrayal because they don't feel betrayed. They don't think they're betrayed. Um, so they may be feeling like, well, this group isn't for me. Mm -hmm. So what would you say about that word betrayal? And what would you say to that person uh, who thinks I don't feel betrayed? I don't need a group. What, right. what encouragement would you give to them? Yeah, you know, um, I think that one of the biggest things with this is being honest and being willing to be honest and taking a look at the effects that porn may be having in you in mm -hmm. your life. Um, you may not feel that your husband or your yeah your husband's watching porn is affecting you. Um, and it might not be per se in a sense, but if we look at, um, at the, con the consequences of, of the coping behavior that this, this is, is that there's always uh, emotional numbness. Mm -hmm. And so you might not feel like porn is affecting you directly. Um, and if that was the case, then at the very least, you have a spouse that has been emotionally absent or yeah. numb. And so you are, you have felt the consequences to that. And so it's just taking a look at the effects of porn in your life and being honest with, okay, if I have, I, it might not bother me that he watches porn, but at the same time, you realize that your spouse hasn't been emotionally present yeah. at all. And you've kind of been on your own emotionally, then it might be a good time to, to pause and think, all right, maybe there are, I am suffering some of the consequences and it might be, of a great benefit for me to join a group. So do you think it's possible? And I, I want to make sure I'm asking this question yeah. sensitively because for some listeners, this might be a sensitive topic. Is it possible that it's a bit of a protective mechanism to just decide, well, I'm not hurt. This isn't betrayal. It's, it's a way of keeping themselves emotionally yeah, distant it. from it. Totally. I, I absolutely think that that's probably a part of, of what's playing a role into, into their, them not getting into a group or finding help. And at the end of the day, it's just with addiction or seeking help, it comes down to the person making that decision on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I was kind of bringing it up in terms of it's going to be, you're going to have to look at within yourself to and be honest of about what are the effects that I'm actually feeling and for you to be able to make the decision and ask for help because yes, my opinion is you would be very benefited from a group totally, yeah. and at the same time, um, you're only going to, you're going to be the one that's going to make the decision yeah. and make that choice. Yeah. I think we want to be careful that we're not communicating to women. Well, you have to go to a group because this is your fault or you're oh, to absolutely. blame. I mean, yeah. it's not that at all. No, not at all. We're saying this is part of your healing. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those areas where it feels like you don't know what you're missing until you experience it. And in a relationship where a wife is feeling like, oh, I'm not betrayed, it's no big deal. 
I think it's when they walk through the healing process, mm-hmm. their husband begins to change. They realize what it's been doing in their life yeah. and it creates uh, really a fresh start to their relationship yep. that that's where we hear wives saying, you know, we didn't realize what we were missing. We didn't mm-hmm. recognize how we'd gotten into these patterns of just avoiding and numbing out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when they begin to experience real connection, real intimacy, it's they become our, the biggest proponents of the group saying every single wife needs this, mm-hmm. get into a group. And so it, it can on the front side feel like it's a lot of work or time. I don't feel betrayed. But when they take that step, the fruit that comes out of it Absolutely. really is amazing. Well, and what it seems like is that it's a misunderstanding of intimacy. I mean, so as my experience is, as a youth pastor previously, you know, porn is viewed as not a big deal all around the world. Like it really, it's this cultural thing where it's okay. Everybody does it. And what I think I'm understanding and what I've seen is that I think that if there's a spouse out there who starts to think that porn, it's not a big deal, there may be a misunderstanding of what intimacy is because the world tells us sex equals intimacy. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't affect our sex life, we're still having good sex and frequent sex and I feel fulfilled, then, then there shouldn't be a problem. But really, you know, Nick, you're touching on that. You're missing out on what true intimacy is, mm-hmm. which is being actually close to somebody, being known by somebody and, and working through life together alongside that person rather than, you know, is our sex life good or bad? Mm-hmm. And so I think that in a lot of ways that that's how this perspective today, especially in younger people, this is how this perspective gets born is this idea, this idea or this misidentification of intimacy equaling your sex life. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this uh, sex addiction is one of one of those things that we also um, like to approach or approach as a intimacy disorder. And so you're right, Trevor, you know, just this, the society that we live in right now just has made it so part of what we all do. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just very misleading in terms of what true intimacy is. And a lot of people even like to refer to sex as being intimate and you know a lot of times we kind of pause on that because because we intimacy really has to do with emotional connection yeah and then sex is a part of that it's part of that intimate Mm -hmm. you know intimate relationship and so i think you're totally touching on on a good point there for sure yeah Mm -hmm. it's possible to have sex without intimacy yeah and it's possible to have intimacy without sex boom my drop you've got to have both (laughs) yes that's a good quote write that if you are listening write that down Um, Okay, so we have touched on really already why it's important, like why um, going into a group, if you're a betrayed spouse, betrayed wife, why it's important, what you may get out of it. Um, But let's kind of look at it from the church perspective. Why do you think it's so important that, because I think we can all agree it's it's easy and common for a church to assume we need groups for addicts. We need groups uh, for people who are struggling with this. But Mm -hmm. why is it also important that the group offers or this, the church offers groups for the betrayed spouses as well? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go back to even what we were talking at the very beginning of, of our time together. It's that the approach that we have and that we liked that we've, you know, that we stand by is that this is an issue, a family issue. Um, this isn't just about mm-hmm. getting the sex addicts help and getting them to be healthy individuals. Um, because if we do that, then we're just going to be left again with spouses that are wounded and betrayed and just not knowing how to even deal with that. And even what you mentioned, Nick, earlier, they might even end up still stuck in the place where they feel like it was their fault. And then we have, you know, the, the sex addict at a great place and then she's at a really even worse place if she yeah. doesn't get the help that she needs and support and healing to navigate through the betrayal so it's 
it's very important to have yeah. groups for women as yeah. well. Well, one of the illustrations that we heard, you know, early on, and I've heard Diane Roberts use so many times, is that if a church doesn't offer a group for the spouses mm-hmm. and for wives in particular, it's like someone calling for an ambulance, and the ambulance comes and it picks up the person that made the phone call. <sighs> And helps them while the person in the accident that was hurt and wounded is laying there bleeding. There you go. And That's off goes really the good. ambulance. And yeah. the person on the road is like, what about me? And, yep. and I think <laughs> many wives feel that way. And we hear that when we go to, again, when we go to events, we'll hear from the women who are in churches that they say they're not doing anything for mm-hmm. us yet. Why not? And and they're trying to process we need something. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, I that would be my encouragement to any church leader or staff member, a pastor who's listening to say there, there are women that, that need this safe place. They need this community. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of ability to create that safe place simply by opening the door to these groups and giving some uh, resourcing to leaders and saying, go for it, help women. Um, because there are likely women that if you gave them that open door, they'd be willing to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. that's a barrier is that churches are led by often male staff mm-hmm. who feel like, well, I don't know how to start this or lead this. Right. Well, your role might be to open the door and to give those women uh, space, share some testimonies mm-hmm. and see what other women could benefit from the groups. Yeah, and, and for the church to to continue educating itself and gaining competency on the subject and being able to see the reality, the real effects that it has, sex addiction has on the family, on mm-hmm. everybody else. Yep. It's not just the individual that's yep. going through it. It's just being able as a church to recognize this is a bigger issue. It is not just an individual. It's how is it affecting the family and the church? It's just AAK society and every, you know, everywhere we go. You know, and I, I, when I say this, I really want to make sure that I'm, it doesn't feel like I'm getting on a soapbox, but in some ways, what's been going on in our world has, has allowed us to, to take a step back, I think, even in the church and look at how we emphasize uh, who's important in the family. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is a complete family systems that needs to be healthy. It's not just a, a healthy and a great leader as a husband in the household, and then the family will automatically be healthy. It's also emphasizing both spouses, emphasizing the emotional health of your children, of you know the actual family system that you have. And I think that if we get to a point where we're only offering groups for addicts or men who need healing from any sort of addiction, but don't offer it to women, then you're you're almost inadvertently teaching the truth that it's only about the leader getting healing or the leader being right or emotionally, you know, healthy, but that's not true. We see that both spouses, Mm -hmm. both people that are part of a marriage and part of creating this family system and structure for their children who are going to be future spouses Mm -hmm. and future leaders in the church. And those people have to be healthy together uh, in order to create this, this grace culture and this culture really of healing. Absolutely. So, so I'll step off my soapbox now. (laughs) It was good. That was good. So we may have answered the question already, but I'll still ask to see if there's more, Rebecca, that you would want to address. When you look at churches and the groups they have, why do you think many churches do struggle to start the women's side, to to have a ministry um, for wives who've been hurt by their husband's addiction? Yeah, I think it goes back to to the same in terms of uh, the church uh, maybe not having that that knowledge or education or competency to to realize that um, sex addiction really goes it affects more than just the addict itself um just being able to see the effect that it's having on the family on the spouse and even the kid their kids um and how that is affecting the society around us um i think it'll it would make a big 
big difference. Um, at the same time, though, I feel like maybe some churches, you know, that's dealing with a sex addict is a big step for a lot of people, a lot of churches. And then, you know, starting to think about, okay, well, then now it's the spouse. It may may feel a little bit more daunting or yeah. just like, okay, it, it is messy because mm-hmm. we're going to have to deal with more brokenness and brokenness is not, it, it is messy. And so maybe even the fear of not knowing how to navigate through or how to support the spouses of. And so it comes down to maybe what I said, just maybe the lack of education or knowledge and, and yeah. Yeah. And I think another, like a practical one is that maybe there are women who aren't willing to lead groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you don't have people who will understand or uh, see the need for these type of groups in your church. I mean, I know that when, uh, when I was at my previous church, that was where we were at. We wanted to start B and B groups right away, but there was no one who, mm-hmm. who was ready to step in and help lead. And it didn't seem like at the time there were, there were hurting women, but women that didn't realize that they needed to get into groups or that this, you know, would be helpful for them. And so I think that in some ways um, that goes, or that gets lost on a church where they're not communicating mm-hmm. the need for it from up front. And mm-hmm. I think that, no one intentionally sets out to create that kind of culture, but I think that inadvertently that kind of culture is created inside the church. So here's one of those questions Trevor says I throw in that it, <laughs> I'm just thinking, let's look at the positive side of this. If a church um, was saying, we, we want to start, we, we want to do something for the women, what steps or recommendations would you give to say, here's some good ways to start groups or to move in that direction? Yeah, so definitely, I mean, we have a lot of resources right now, which is a great great thing to be able to offer just online being able to offer a lot of our resources our, our workbooks and whatnot the peers are your university as well i mean as much as you can get yourself into resources the better you will be prepared and the more comfortable you will be prepared you will be to even offer this to your church but even if you as a as a woman in your church and your church is not necessarily taking the steps towards doing this you can do that yourself um Personally, you can start educating yourself and researching on the topic and even start going through the Between and Beyond workbook on your own if you have to. If if you can join a group just for the sake of getting your hands into the material and understanding, even if you're not a, a spouse of a recovering sex addict, um, that would still be of a huge help to you to make you feel comfortable and get to a place where you're confident enough to come to your pastor and say, I'm prepared, I'm mm. ready and willing to take the risk and get started. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like our story where we drove to groups half an hour away, I think we hear that quite a bit of uh, a woman who's looking for support, Mm -hmm. finds a church, you know, maybe it's a half hour away or in her city somewhere else and goes there and finds the value of it, the Mm -hmm. healing, and then she's able to come and really be a catalyst in her church to say, could I lead a group here? And that's a huge step uh, of faith and that takes some courage but mm-hmm. we see that being really effective when there's someone standing up saying we need it and i'll lead it mm-hmm. churches tend to say okay we'll give you the space for it and, and another step that we see being really effective is if if uh, that woman or yeah. someone from the church that has experienced a level of healing is willing to share their testimony because i think you're right something you said rebecca that there may be women who want a group they just they feel kind of isolated or mm-hmm. shameful that it feels like admitting my marriage is bad or am I exposing my husband's sin? And so they just kind of wait. And if someone can stand up and say, um, you're not alone, mm-hmm. there's a group, there's a place, many women are ready to respond. And so a testimony can be a great way to get the ball rolling as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the cool things about the group that women don't, don't know necessarily at the beginning is that, you know, these support groups are 
very confidential and so you know we we strive to make sure that these are these groups are a safe place where women can come and share you know these very yeah. intimate uh types of uh, areas of their lives but for them to be able to get to a place especially because you know if it's within a church most people will think of the groups as a bible study because that's kind of what they grew up with yeah. and so for them to be able to step into a place where it's safe where the confidentiality is you know a priority um women start feeling safer and just sharing and just opening up and being vulnerable Okay, so this has been really great so far, um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna press in a little bit, and this is gonna be a really loaded question. Okay, um, so we've talked about what B and B is, who it's for, why churches could benefit from it, but what does it look like for a betrayed spouse to find healing? What what does it take for a betrayed spouse to find that healing from betrayal by sexual addiction? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is time. Um, find a wound and give it the time that it needs to heal. Um, once trust is shattered, um, it takes time to build it up. And so it's it's not something that happens overnight. Um, and so it's, it's going to require time of facing the pain and the discomfort of that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, in the ideal world or the ideal scenario is that the couple is committed to this whole healing process together so that as the spouse is focused on her own healing at the same, and she's experiencing healing through that, um, at the same time, she will experience healing through the changes that her husband, it you know, or the recovering sex addict is making as he too heals. And so... Um, as many of you probably have heard, or most of us have heard from Ted Roberts say, we were wounded in relationships and we are healed in relationships. So this is kind of where this comes into place in terms of the spouse finding healing or experiencing healing as she walks through, walks through this process herself Mm -hmm. to heal the betrayal. Um, and at the same time, see that her husband is making the changes that he needs to make for his own healing will in turn become then, um, it's, it'll be a new dynamic and yeah. healing will take over. Cause, and this is one of the things I love about all of our resources is that they're mm-hmm. created to create a framework or, um, a structure that helps you process your own story. So it's, it's almost like the, the actual workbook and the, the material itself is almost a facilitator of your mm-hmm. healing Absolutely. that you are just interacting with it and spending time. And this is what I love about just the group structure mm-hmm. is that as other people go through the same homework and come up with different responses and start to share pieces and, and portions of their story and their own healing, you gain and you like glean stuff mm-hmm. from that. Like you gather more information and you it actually helps you better understand it. And so I yeah. think that that's what we see is true even in Betrayal and Beyond is that it's that same thing. The, the work is there as a facilitator of your healing journey. And when you do it with a community, that just it almost like reinforces the healing even more yeah absolutely and and i was totally what you're saying brings up even what i was just saying in terms of that 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 would be the ideal scenario is that the couple's working together that's not always the case though and so with what you're saying even if your husband is not you know seeking the help that he needs for his own healing and recovery you can still experience healing and Um, should and should absolutely encourage it to be able to just push through that be a part of a group and heal what you need to heal so that either this current relationship or the future relationships will be affected and changed yeah. as a result of your own healing. That's good. 
So Rebecca, if someone is listening and they're thinking they'd like to start a group and mm-hmm. get going with Betrayal and Beyond, uh, what material will they need and how does that material work together? Yeah, uh, the Betrayal and Beyond uh, kit basically um, comes with a workbook, a journal, and um, a book that is called Stories for Women. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically just get your hands on on those resources um, if you have gone through the process of counseling and healing, then you have a lot going for you already. You have most of what you need because you have gone through it. Uh, but then we would also encourage you to go walk through the whole material at least once before you start um, facilitating a group. Um, so just, yeah, get yourself on it. Get, 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 get working. Yeah. And uh, in six to, I mean, in six months, you could, you feel comfortable or confident enough to do it. However, we would probably recommend you go through the material once. So mm-hmm. what are some of the topics that are covered in B&B? Like what can someone expect to address in the group yeah. material? Yeah. So I would probably say, I would summarize it in three, in three little parts. Uh, one of them is just understanding addiction, just kind of what that is, what even the neurochemistry of addiction, how your husband got to where the he's brain. at, the whole brain thing. <laughs> and, and it's cool because it's the whole, you know, Bible versus the the neurochemistry of it. Yeah. So it, it's just understanding what sin versus addiction and all that so that's one of those parts um the other part would be then just as a couple like where to go from now Mm -hmm. you know where what uh, boundaries do i need to set in place what is to be expected from my spouse who is in recovery um and then the other part the last part uh, which i love is just the self Mm -hmm. (laughs) focus part and so just basically uh, taking a look at your own narrative and your own um, story, how that has affected you or impacted you and how mm. you can change for the better in the future. So, yeah, yeah that's good. Mm-hmm. So let's talk some of the logistics of a group, because, again, for some of our listeners, this might be a kind of foreign concept, the thought they should be in a group. So let's talk some of the logistics. How often does the group meet? Mm-hmm. Um, are there any requirements for joining a group? Just Talk through some of some of that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the group will meet once a week, um, no more than twelve hour, two hours. I mean, not twelve, 12 hours. Please, wow. not twelve. That's That's a long, right there. That's Everyone a long gets to share for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> no more than two hours. I personally stick to an hour and a half, an hour and forty-five minutes with my groups. Um, so it's weekly. It's a weekly commitment of an hour and a half to two hour stops. Um, Basically, the requirements are you just got to be committed to the whole process. Uh, you come to group with your work done, uh, hopefully not the same day or the day <laughs> off. But hopefully you've, take, you've taken the time to go through the process, through that lesson before. Uh, and just being willing to be vulnerable and honest, just stick to, to being committed to, to the process. Um, really, if your spouse is, a, is in recovery whether he's in recovery or not, mm-hmm. the group is for you. Yeah. Um, or if you're engaged to be married to a recovering sex addict, the group is good for you. It w- will be of great benefit for you as well. Yeah. So it will it takes about a year long. Uh, it's about a year long process and weekly meetings of no more than two hours. So what would a woman need to lead a group? Like let's say they, that, okay, they've maybe been through group or they realize their church need groups and there's no one there. Like what does a woman need in order to lead a B&B group? Okay, um, I have a hard time with the word lead versus facilitate. Okay. I like to use you, the would word you like facilitate. me to ask. Let me ask the question again. Hey, Rebecca, what does a woman need in order to facilitate oh, a B&B group? Because then I'm going to rant about the whole lead. <laughs> so facilitate. What does a woman need in order to facilitate a B&B group? Yes. Yeah, so um, 
in order to facilitate a group, uh, we recommend that, again, ideally it would be great if you've gone through, through the counseling process or through the, through the group at mm-hmm. least once. One full year of having gone gone through it. Um, if you've experienced healing on your own, then that's even better. And naturally, that's what we would want to see, right? Like yeah. as you yeah. experience healing, then you organically just want to extend that and just reach out and help other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, for some women, they might be feeling a little ready or feeling more like, okay, I I want to be involved in this after they've done with their first round basically yeah but they're still a little hesitant so what we recommend is like well then maybe co-facilitate a group first with somebody else so that you can gain more competency and be more confident Mm -hmm. so that for the third time around you are just ready and confident to start facilitating the group um for those of you that may have not gone through the healing process or you know the, the recovery process it's the same thing. Just go through the, the process at least once so that you get your hands in it, experience it, and then are able to um, walk alongside other women and facilitate. Which process. that was my experience with Seven Pillars. I mean, when I jumped in, I had not led a group at that point, but I just I allowed the material to facilitate and really mm-hmm. lead us as we moved. And I just was invested, you know, fully with the guys and found okay like this can still work i don't have to have years of experience or a master's degree so if you're out there listening you do not need that stuff in order to facilitate a group. absolutely and when you facilitate just go with it and uh, with the perspective of you are in this too um you are walking in this process with a bunch of women um and so you don't have to have it all together you don't have to have all the answers it's it is not group therapy that you're facilitating here so it's just you be real you show up be as committed to the to the work as everybody else and god will do the rest yeah yeah and if people go to our website there is a leader's guide for betrayal and beyond and if you want to take a black sharpie and cross out the word leader you know we can and write in facilitator (laughs) that's okay you'd make rebecca so happy happy. (laughs) Uh, yeah it just tries to give some practical tips on what to look for in the different lessons and how to lead people through and uh, we have people that routinely use that particularly if they've not been through the material much themselves that leader's guide i think is an important tool to have absolutely and it has some good pointers uh for each lesson so you know it'll bring up points that you might want to focus on for that lesson Mm -hmm. or that are important to make sure that you go through um for that lesson so definitely the leader's guide will be a great resource for you to just um gain more competency and be feel more confident that you're ready Mm -hmm. Well, Rebecca, we have loved having you join us. It's been exciting to have you on your first podcast, and we know there will be many more. Uh, But we like to end all the podcasts with a similar question, and so I wanted to uh, leave you with this one. What is some final encouragement that you would want to give to listeners uh, along the lines of the Betrayal and Beyond material, whether it's to the hurting spouse or to a church leader? What what encouragement would you give today? You know, joining a group, a support group, or full of strangers sharing probably one of the most intimate things that you could talk about um, can be daunting. And so I get it. It's scary. Um, And yet making that risk, taking that first step, that step towards that risk uh, with the goal of being healed and finding and being able to see life, experience life in a new way Mm. will be worth it. Um, For me personally, you know, as a facilitator and as a clinician, um, facing my own fears of not being good enough and not knowing how to help other people has been the most rewarding risk that I, and, you know, the risk that I've ever taken. And so mm-hmm. I give you the same um, encouragement. Take the risk. Um, 
doing the hard thing is often the, the, the right thing to do the right thing. And so it'll, you'll, you'll experience healing like no other. And yeah. Let me just drop this in for any churches like listening. I think that this is something that is far too often overlooked and undervalued. And I think that it's something that every church needs to have because you're, you're teaching that healing happens holistically Mm -hmm. and that a family gets healthy together and creates a culture together. It's not just one spouse or one person in the family. It's everybody that's involved. And so just to make sure that, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're communicating that message of finding freedom or getting healing from this, that we're talking about it um, from both spouses perspectives and offering groups is a great way to, to give a voice to both spouses. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that'd be my final encouragement is just to see the way this will improve your relationship with your spouse. Uh, When we went into our healing journey, I thought it was fixing my behavior that would Mm -hmm. improve our marriage, but it was really the way that we emotionally connected. We learned to communicate and talk like we never had before that it honestly took our marriage to a level it had never been at. Mm -hmm. And, And yes, it also changed my behavior, but that wasn't what ultimately led to a better relationship. And so uh, for those who are listening, just realize this could be uh, a huge, huge thing for um, improving the relationship mm-hmm. you have with your spouse. And so if that could motivate you to jump into a group, um, I hope they'll consider it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rebecca, you did it. You finished did your fir- po- first Yay. podcast. Congrats. <laughs> I'll make sure to never, ever use the word lead again <laughs> when you are here. Uh, facilitator, facilitator, facilitator. So uh, you did awesome. This was so insightful and helpful. I mean, because we haven't experienced it, it's great to hear, you know, firsthand what it is and, and really how it fits into the Pure Desire ministry. So uh, we just really appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you, guys. That was awesome being here with you. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe. You can also rate and review our podcast and let us know how we're doing. For more information, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity.